going to read John 4, verses 31 through 34. Yeah, four verses. I'm preaching four verses today. But we want to kind of recap last week we were with the woman at the well, and the woman at the well had come to the point where she knew who Jesus was. She saw him as Messiah, right? And then she went, left her water pot there, right? The whole reason she came to the well, she left laying beside the well. And she went out to tell other people to come and see a man that had told her all things. Amen? Now, this is the response of the heart of an individual to the gospel. The response of the heart is not, oh, yeah, I got Jesus now. Right? Eh, I believe. The response is now, this is my life. Okay? I, I'm going to tell everybody about this Savior that I found. Amen? Now, the flip side of this is we, last week, we went, we go from a woman who was changed by the giver of eternal life at the well to Jesus instructing his disciples on things of first importance at the same well. I pray earnestly that you come to the wellspring of the river of life this morning as we encounter the gospel and talk about what Jesus lays out to his disciples in just these four verses. We may touch on a couple verses that are right after this, but these are the four main verses that we're going to talk about. Because while Jesus was dealing specifically with her in a certain way, he turns right around and deals with his disciples in another way. And we got to understand one thing. This woman became a, a disciple, a follower of Christ. Right then, she starts telling everybody about him. And it ends the chapter saying that many Samaritans come to believe in Christ. Right? This is the opening of John's gospel to where we see that Jesus didn't just come for the Jew. Jesus didn't come just for the people of Israel, but for everybody. And you'll find later on in this chapter, matter of fact, if we, uh, let me get my Bible turned there. Well, my other Bible turned there. I know a lot of y'all got that King James, so I want to make sure I brought one, okay? At the end of this chapter, uh, let me see if I can find it. Do, 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 do. Oh, verse 42. If you turn to verse 42, it says, And said the woman, now we said unto the woman, Now we believe not because thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Not just Jew, Gentile alike, which is why Paul said in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, 
man or woman. Amen. Because Jesus came to save every single person that he could from every creed, tongue, nation on the planet. Amen. Now, those people he came to see, we don't know who they are, but he knows who they are. Amen. He knows who his sheep are. We don't. So we have to operate with the understanding that anybody at any time could be one of his sheep. Amen. Christ doesn't operate that way, but we must because we are not omniscient. We're not all knowing. Amen. Now, the point of this message today, and I didn't even title it. I wanted to title it, but every title I thought of sounded kind of hokey and I just. I, I, I want to go and let you read it with me, and you'll see that I think you could title this very easily, Christ's Food Was to Do the Will of the Father, but that's way too long of a title. Amen? Let's read verse 31 through verse 34. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said his disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us, that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, guide us, and encourage us to follow Christ with everything that is in us. Lord, help us to behold that the season and the hour is now here where the, the harvest has been white and ready for plucking. That we need to look up to the fields in which we lay and realize that the harvest is near unto us and that we need to, to reap and sow and gather right now. Help us to see our need in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to begin this with a couple notes. Number one. He starts out saying, uh, the disciples start out in verse 31, and they prayed him saying, Master, eat. Now this word master is the same word that you could put rabbi right there, okay? It's the same word that you could put rabbi right there. The ESV says rabbi. I'm pretty sure that the NIV says rabbi. Um, but this word rabbi here means teacher, master, great one, my humble or my honorable one. That's, that's what this word here could mean. And they're, what is the, why are they coming and trying to urge him to eat? You remember? Remember the beginning of the story? Where, where were they coming from? They were coming from? Jerusalem, they were going to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria, right? And it said that it was about the sixth hour, and he was wearied 
from his journey. That's when he sat down by the well, remember? So the disciples, and it makes it pretty clear in verse 7, if you flip back over there, uh, or verse 8, excuse me. Verse 8, for his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat or to buy food. And we talked about that word meat there. It doesn't mean like steaks and chicken. They were just went to buy food. That word meat doesn't mean just meat. It means food. Uh, that word can be translated directly as food, and it is in, it, in many other translations. So they went off to buy food. Well, their priority was Jesus was tired and hungry, and he, they went to town to get stuff, right? So they get back and find him talking to this woman, and this woman takes off and leaves her water pot, and then they're like, Master, you need to eat. But these disciples are much like we are. We're so focused on earthly things that when Jesus was about his father's business, these people didn't even realize it. These followers of his, these people who believed in him, these men and women who, who followed him and loved him and, and saw him do miracles, they still didn't understand that what he was doing right there was the father's will. And it was more important than food. It was more important than what their agenda was. It was more important than that rest. It was more important than, than all the other priorities that we can put in front of it. Because how many times do we let things get in front of our understanding of how we can serve God at any given moment? Far too often we're just Content with, oh, I got that done, I got this done. You know, that say hi to the guy in the grocery store, right? But we never really take the opportunity to think, what am I here for right now? Because the reality is God has a plan for your life, amen? God has a purpose for your existence. And it's much more than to... I don't want to get ahead of myself. It's much more than to just do your own thing. I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'm going somewhere with that. And I don't want to trample all over my end of my sermon before I get there. Now the word uh, prayed in the King James here. It says they prayed him. Okay. That doesn't mean they were praying to him. Okay. It's not what that word means in that context. The word prayed there means that they were urging him. They were, uh, the word is uh, eratel, to question, to ask, to request, to entreat, to beg, to beseech. They were asking Jesus, you know, convictedly. You need to eat something, right? It's, if you ever went to the house on 5th and Clyde, you ever went to this house on 5th and Klein when Mike and I first met? You couldn't walk in the front door without Kathy Phillips saying, You hungry? You want something to eat? I'll get you something right now. Now, I know I was living on the farm at the time and I was scrawnier and all get out. So she probably looked at me and thought, God, this kid's starving to death. We need to feed him. But then I realized 
She done it with everybody that came through the front door. <laughs> Amen. That's the way these men were talking to Jesus. And I just pictured Kathy just, come on, you need, you, you hungry, Kevin? You want something to eat? And I'd tell her no. And three or four minutes later, she'd come, are you sure? I can make you something to eat right now. And she'd probably ask you two or three or four more times. Until finally you're like, yes, I'll eat. <laughs> Why were they urging? Verse 6 and 7, 8 of the last chapter, or of the beginning of this chapter. He was weary from his journey, number one. Number two, the disciples had gone to buy the food and have now returned with it. And they had an expectation that he was going to eat what they went and got. Right? Like, if, if, if you're on a trip with somebody and, and you're like, hold on, I'm going to go in the store and, and get stuff. You want something? They're like, sure, I'll take something. And then you come back out and they're like, oh, I'm not hungry. You're like, hold on, I just spent money to get this for you. Or some of you might just be like, well, there's more for me. <laughs> right? Brian, he's like, yep. <laughs> Best place to be honest is when we're gathered as the church. Amen? <laughs> uh, number two, Jesus' response shows that Jesus is trying to jar their attention to the fact that while they left to go get the food, Jesus already had a plan to talk to this woman, and he already had a plan to talk to them about priorities when they got back. Amen? Now watch what he says. Now I'm going to read it in the ESV. It says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. I have food to eat that you don't know about. Now, every one of us would be like, what do you mean? You got a snack bar in your pocket? You got one of them Jerusalem travel pouches somewhere where you just, you know, uh, got a bag of grape nuts or something? I don't know. What, what are you talking about? You got food we don't know about. I mean, it ain't like he had pockets, okay? He's wearing robes. Can I get an Amen. He didn't carry the purse of money. He probably didn't carry the backpack with stuff in it, you know, like pillows and blankets. Somebody else probably carried that. Huh? Well, no, he didn't eat no manna. He gave manna. He gave manna in the Old Testament. He, 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 he divided the loaves and the bread. He divided the bread for the 5,000, but that was just to show them, and he talked to them about bread at that time. He said, he said, uh, I am the manna. I am the bread from heaven. That's what he told them. Amen. Uh, not only did he give the manna, he said, I am the manna. I am the bread of life. Amen. So with that chapter, when he's talking about the bread of life, we're going to get there. He's literally telling them, I gave you the bread in the wilderness. And now the, the bread that didn't sustain those people in the wilderness is nothing compared to the bread of life, which I am. Amen. And right here he tells them, I have food that you don't know about. I just wrote a couple notes down on this. What food? The disciples did not know 
and had up. Obviously, the disciples did not know what food he had. Had Jesus not said that they didn't know about this food, even if that wasn't written in the scriptures, their reaction to his statement would have told us that they didn't know where this food came from. So if all Jesus said is, I've got some food, their reaction to the fact is, hold on, somebody gave him some food? Where did you get food from? Right? They're still thinking earthly things. And just like the woman before them, and just like Nicodemus before them, they didn't understand the plain things that Jesus was using as metaphors to talk about spiritual things. Nicodemus didn't understand what it meant to be born again, to go back and do it. He said, what did you do? Go back into your mother's womb a second time? Right? The woman didn't understand the water. The woman was like, well, well, give me this water that I won't have to come back here and draw from this well. And I won't. And see, she's still thinking earthly things. And these disciples are stuck in the same thing, even though they live with Christ, walk with him, see him do miracles, hear his teaching. They still are wrapped in this dirt suit. So when he says something perplexing, they go, what are you talking about? You got food. Somebody give you some food? Who showed up while we were gone? Amen? Even if Jesus wouldn't have said they didn't know, it's obvious they didn't know. Amen? I want to give a note, too, that uh, this response and the response he gives in verse 34 is probably a... Uh, reference to Deuteronomy 8.3. So if you will, turn with me back to the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8 and 3. And in Deuteronomy 8 and 3, we read these words. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord come on and then he says your clothing did not wear out He's talking about that wilderness experience, amen? And this reference to talking about food that he didn't, that he had food that they didn't know about is to tell them, look, you didn't know where that bread came from in the wilderness. You didn't understand how God did that. He said, I know how that is because I have food that you don't know about. He is the bread of life. He is the fountain of eternal life. He's the giver of eternal life. And he's looking at these people and that when he makes the reference about they have, I have bread or I have food, I have meat that you don't know of, this should have come to their mind. Them being Jews should have been able to go, hold on, didn't he say in Deuteronomy I had gave you bread that you didn't know? Right? Not all of them. They weren't all unlearned. 
Judas was a scribe. Matthew was a tax collector. We get the missing idea just because Matthew worked for, for the Romans that he wasn't a Jew. Matthew was a Jew. Matthew was a wealthy Jew. Matthew probably had a learning. And to be in that circle of people, he had to have known some. Judas being a scribe would have been well acquainted. We come to this and we also see that so often we find Christ answering questions that we ask and that these disciples ask. Jesus answers this question because so I'm not going to sit here and speculate on, oh, what's this food that he doesn't have? You know, nobody knows about this food that he has. And I've heard all manner of things about what this food is. All right. But Jesus answers the question in verse 34. And that's the whole crux of this sermon. This is where we're going to, that's where we're going to end. That's the apex. That's the, 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 the. That's the top of the mountain that we're going to. But we got to get through these verses and their perplexities first. He says this. Why does he tell them I have food that you don't know of? Well, number one, he's trying to arrest their attention to a point that he's about to drive home. Amen. Anytime a pastor, a preacher, a teacher, a rabbi says one thing that go, you go, what is he talking about? He's normally saying that so that you will listen to the rest of what he's about to tell you. Amen. So number one, he's saying this to arrest their attention. Number two, he was hoping more than likely to jar their memory back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Amen. Now, they didn't have chapters and verses back then, so he would have probably just been trying to jar their memory back to Deuteronomy. Amen? Back to the, the Pentateuch, back to the Law of Moses, where it says, didn't I in the wilderness give you food that you didn't know about? Amen? So these two things are more than likely what he's doing here. Amen? Now we get to verse 33. They, like the woman, do not piece together the physical metaphors that Jesus is using for spiritual things. She was confused about water, and they are confused about food. The realities that we all get so caught up in earthly things is astounding to me. Amen? And we don't take the time to go, oh, why did, the, why did that happen at the job site? Why did that happen when my computer messed up. Why did that happen on my son's birthday party? Sit up, boys. <clears throat> Why did that happen? Probably because either God wanted to teach you a lesson, or God wanted to teach somebody else a lesson, or both. And in this instance, Jesus stops at this well, and it's not just the woman who gets changed. It's not just those people who come to know Christ from her testimony and come hear Christ themselves and believe. But it's also these disciples that are fixing to get a mandate 
put on them by Christ. This isn't a new mandate because we've read over and over in scriptures in the New Testament where Jesus says, if any man wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me unless he's able or unless he's willing to renounce all that he has and follow me. He cannot be my disciple. Luke chapter eight, nine. I can't remember. Uh, these things are all true. And Jesus is about to reinforce this message with a different view from a different perspective. But he's about to say nearly the same thing in not those same words. But verse 34 says, and I want to read it again so you can get it in your mind. Verse 34 says this. And Jesus said unto them, my meat or my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, why do I say this says the same thing that Jesus said to his disciples in Luke uh, 11 or 8 or wherever it's at? I can't remember off the top of my head. Why don't you find that for me so I'm not blabbering idiot about where that's at? Let's just find it. Uh, where, where he tells the disciples, unless you renounce all that you have and follow me, you cannot be my disciples. I just want to find it. That way I don't sound like I don't know where it's at, okay? Because I know it's right there in Luke somewhere. Cost of discipleship. Okay, right here. Ver it's chapter 14, verse 25 through 33. That's where it's at. Now, how is this saying the same thing? Now, I want to say a few things that are going to make you go, oh, I don't see any of that in there, but I want to note a couple things. Jesus, number one, Jesus said, my food, the thing that sustains me is to do the will of him who sent me. Now, this is so contrary to our Americanized version of ourself that our will is to, or our food is to do what we want to do. The natural man doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. The natural man wants to do what he wants to do. Period. End of story. You Christian, not a Christian, your flesh wants to do what it wants to do, and it does not want to do what God wants it to do. That's the truth. Paul said, the thing that I don't want to do, I end up doing that. The thing that I, 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 I want to do, I don't do that. Why? Because it's flesh. Because it's humanity does not want to do the things of God. That's why Romans chapter 3 is absolutely true. There is none righteous. There is none that seeks after God. There is none that does good. And then, and then when we start talking about free will, and we have free will, it's, it's true, right? We got free will. That's a real thing. The problem is, when I come to Christ, I'm not supposed to operate in my free will. I'm supposed to lay my free will down and live for God's will. I hear it all the time. Oh, man. 
Oh, I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and I'm doing this other thing. I don't hear, I prayed about it, and this is what I feel like God wants me to do. I don't hear, I really believe this is what God wants me to do. Amen? I'm just going to do this. I'm going to do that. That's all fine and dandy. But the reality that comes into play in that is that I am not living for Christ at that point. I'm living for me. This is something that Jesus reinforces over and over with his disciples. And Jesus didn't just tell them to do it. He lived an example in front of them. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Anyway, in other words, the thing that I want to live for isn't my own will. And Jesus said this before. John chapter 6, he says, I have not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Amen? I, I, get, I get wearied from hearing, oh, I'm going to do this. Now I'm gonna, you can go do whatever you want to. That's true. Okay? That doesn't make it what God wants you to do. That doesn't make it what God expects you to do. Amen? Far too often we're just caught at the well and we'd rather just eat food and talk to the lady and leave. And not seize opportunities when they're presented. I'm telling you what, I've preached a whole lot of funerals here this year. Not at this building, but uh, uh, I preached two at this building and a whole bunch more outside of here, gravesides and many other places. And yesterday was one of those moments in my life, and I've had two of these in the last couple months where I just realized that I will never, ever, ever, ever see most of these people ever again. And I could go ahead and just do a regular old funeral and, and talk about their loved one and do this and do that, or I could seize an opportunity as a, as a minister of the gospel to let them know the truth that every one of them will be in a box one day and that they need to know Christ for eternal life. I didn't seize upon it like a rabid dog and tear everybody apart, but I made sure they knew I loved them, I cared for them. The only reason I'm saying anything is because every one of us, except the Lord come, are going to end up in a box. I read a few, I want to read a few quotes about this verse. John MacArthur in the MacArthur Study Bible says this. When he talked with the Samaritan woman, Jesus was performing the will of the Father and thereby received greater sustenance and satisfaction than mere physical food could offer him. Obedience and dependence upon God's will summed up Jesus' whole life. God's will for him or, excuse me, God's will for him to finish is explained in John 6, 38 through 40. And if you want to know what that is, Jesus said, this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose none of them that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Jesus says that twice in that chapter. This is the will of the Father. 
that the son would not lose any of those that has been given to him and that he would raise them up at the last day. And then he talks about anyone who believes in him, he would raise up at the last day. Jesus is our hope. And Jesus is giving us an example to follow. Why is this so important? Because if you think coming to Christ on your own agenda is part of the program, you're wrong. Amen? No one, no one gets to come to Christ and live out their will. The truly converted person, the true believer in Christ is going to live for Christ. Period. That's what the New Testament teaches. I'm not just going to profess a head knowledge of Christ. There's going to be a physical evidence, a fruit in their life. Charles Spurgeon on this same verse says this. Jesus here, he's referring to, he says, he says nothing about his own will. People think that if they could have their own way, they would be perfectly happy, and their dream of happiness consists in this, that their wishes will be granted, their own longings fulfilled, and their desires granted unto them. This is all a mistake. A person will never be happy this way. Perfect happiness is to be found in exactly the opposite direction. Namely, in the casting down of our own will entirely. And asking that the will of God may be fulfilled in us. I can't think of more true words to, to say about this portion of scripture where Jesus is saying, my will or my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Not my will. He even prayed that way. Do you remember Christ in the garden saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And he prayed three times. But every time he said one thing that resounds in my heart. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We were told to pray when his disciples said, how should we pray? He said, you pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in heaven as it is in earth. Or in earth as it is in heaven. Amen? The reality is, if we're always praying that God does things our way, we are not living for Christ. We're trying to make God our little genie in a bottle who just gives us everything we want and we don't think to ask, God, what do you want from me? What is it that I should be doing? What is it that I should be saying? When are the moment, when the moments in my life come around where it is God-ordained moments for me to be doing something, let me know. But we don't think that way. Why? Because we're selfish. Right? I'm not talking about just you. There's me too. I'm in dirt suit just like you are. The reality is the flesh must be put under control. I'm getting there. I'm going to continue with this quote from Spurgeon, because I stopped halfway through it. 
Perfect happiness is to be found in exactly the opposite direction, namely, in the casting down of our own will entirely and asking that the will of God may be fulfilled in us. This is my food, says the sinner. Now I want you to listen to what Spurgeon says here. This is my food, says the sinner, to do my own will. Jesus Christ points to another table and says, this is my food, to do the will of him who sent me. <coughs> my greatest comfort, the most substantial nourishment of my spirit are not found in carrying out my own desires, but in submitting all my desires to the will of God. When we have conquered ourselves, we have conquered all. When we have won the victory over our own desires and dislikes and have submitted and subdued ourselves through the sovereign grace of God to the will of God, then we will be perfectly happy. And that's the truth. Jesus didn't just come and preach a whole bunch of things. He also came and lived a whole bunch of things. And he told us if any man loves his mother, brother, father, sister, anybody, yea, even his own life more than me, he cannot be my disciple. And this verse where Jesus is emphatically saying, my food, the thing that sustains me, the thing that drives me, the thing that is foremost in my mind all the time is to do the will of him who sent me. Now church, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the reality is that you are sent. He said in Matthew uh, 28, Behold all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You're sent. And if you're, if you're saved, you're sent. It's not just pastors, it's not just evangelists, it's every single person that believes in Jesus Christ is mandated to live their life for Christ. Everybody. Amen? I'm going to close with a few questions. Or a few statements. i got three, three statements and three questions. Jesus did not come to do his own will, but the will of him who sent him. John 6, 38. His food, what satisfied him, was doing the Father's will. Number three, his goal, his aim, was to finish the work of doing God's will. I have three questions. Are you out to accomplish your own will? That's number one, by the way. Number two, is doing the will of him who sent you your priority? Number three, have you done as Paul said 
in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, and beat your body and disciplined your flesh and subdued it to keep it under control, to follow the will of Christ and not your own. These questions should be paramount in our mind in following Christ. That verse in 1 Corinthians where Paul says, I beat my body daily. That means every day that you wake up, you have to purposefully uh, you have to purposefully and deliberately wake up with the thought to live for Christ. It, it will not happen by accident. It will not happen by osmosis. It ain't going to be no magic wand that is swung over you and just said, poof, you're following imperfect today. Doesn't happen that way. Those doesn't happen at all. But to even become closer, it's not going to happen like that. Paul, Paul devoted himself to prayer. He devoted himself to the reading of Scripture. He devoted himself to the teaching of Scripture. He devoted himself to the fellowship of the saints, to the correction of the brothers. And correcting other brothers. All these things are graces by which God helps you grow. That's why we're told to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say sit there and wait for it. It says work it out. It says, it says your body's not going to let you do it. The body doesn't want to do it. Your flesh is going to go, no, I can't pray every day at 5 o'clock in the morning. Your flesh is going to go, no, I can't get all my kids to settle down to read their Bible every day with me for 15 minutes. Do you realize it only takes maybe 15 minutes to go through a chapter in the Bible most of the time? You can get through a whole chapter in roughly 15 minutes anytime, any chapter of the Bible, maybe except Psalm 119. <clears throat> but to purposely do those things you're not going to wake up one morning and just go oh I'm going to read and then wake up the next day oh I'm going to read you have to determine to do those things you have to make a determination that I'm going to do that why because your flesh will not follow God all by itself period end of story Paul said, I beat my body daily so that after I have been running, I won't find myself disqualified. Why do I talk like this? Why is this so important? The reality is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 say this, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit with you, within you, whom you have of God. Now here's the part. You are not your own. 
Now I'm going to go there in the King James because I want you to see that this is absolutely not messed up translation from my ESV Bible. I want you to know that it's actually in the Bible. And I know a lot of people is like, oh, the King James says it all better. Good. Let's go look at it. <clears throat> Verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Why? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Amen? I do what I want. Not if you're in Christ. It says right here in the scripture by Paul, you can't. If the Son of God, who is God in the flesh, had to say, not my will, God, but your will be done, who are we as clumps of clay to look at God and say, nope, I'm going to do it my way. It's hard to find that teaching in the scripture. The realities that in our own free moral agency, our own free wills, God compels us to lay them down and to let him be Lord of our life. That it isn't about my will, my wants, my desires, my likes, my dislikes. It's about what Christ wants from me. Every single disciple who has ever lived had to go through this same thing. Amen? Me, you, <laughs> Tertullian, Polycarp, John, Peter, Paulos, Paul, everyone. Now, they weren't perfect. Now, I'm not, I am not standing up here preaching saying, oh, you're, you guys got to be perfect now. What I'm saying is, you got to keep shooting for the mark. Amen? You can't settle. You, if you mess up and you're all messed up, don't stay there. Pray. Seek God. Keep trying to go up the mountain. Amen? Stop settling and staying in the valley and just saying, well, I'm never going to get there, so I just won't move. Well, that's dumb. And it doesn't glorify God. Do you realize that your repentance glorifies God? Do you realize that every time you mess up and God helps you back up and gets you back on the road, that glorifies God? But then every victory that you gain, everything that you lay down along the way, that also glorifies God. All the things that you end up overcoming will glorify God when it's not about your will, but his will. Amen? Let's pray. Hold on a minute. I got one more thing to read to you. I thought I was done. I found this prayer. I found this prayer in an old Puritan book of prayer. It's called the Valley of Visions. And I want you to 
want you to hear this prayer that was probably prayed roughly 300 years ago. Oh, Heavenly Father, teach me to see that if Christ has pacified thee and satisfied divine justice, he can also deliver me from my sins. That Christ does not desire me now, uh, does not desire me now justified to live in self-confidence in my own strength, but gives me the law of the spirit of life to enable me to obey thee. That the spirit and his power are mine by resting on Christ's death. That the spirit of life within answers to the law without. That if I sin not, I should thank thee for it. And if I sin, I should be humbled daily under it. That I should mourn for my sin more than other men do. For when I see, I sh for when I see, I shall die because of sin. That makes me mourn. When I see how sin strikes at thee, that makes me mourn. When I see that sin caused Christ's death, that makes me mourn. That sanctification is the evidence of reconciliation, proving that faith has truly apprehended Christ. Thou hast taught me that faith is nothing else than receiving thy kindness. That it is an adherence to Christ, a resting on him, loving, clinging to him as a branch to the tree. To seek life and vigor from him. I thank thee for showing me the vast difference between knowing things by reason and knowing them by the spirit of faith. For by reason I think I see a thing so, and by faith I know it as it is. I have seen thee by reason and have not been amazed. I have seen thee as thou art in thy son and have been ravished to behold thee. I am blessed, or I bless thee, that I am thy that I am thine. In my Savior Jesus. That prayer when I was reading my devotion. Spoke right to this message. Because our life. The Bible says is hid with Christ in God. And we have been bought with a price. Amen. Father God we ask that you would help us this morning. Help us as we. Discern your word, God. Help us as we have heard it. Lord, help us as it has challenged us. Lord, help us where we fail and fall short. We thank you that you are ever faithful to finish the work that you started in us. And all that you do encourages us to hold on to our faith. Lord, we ask today that you would renew us in strength. Renew us in our spirit and help us to follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.